Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Let me start with Job's magnificent tribute to wisdom from the 28th chapter. Will you bear with me? These are short verses, but I'm going to read the first 20 verses. Job says, there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. May I stop right there and just inform you, would you, would you uh, appreciate the technology that Job is referring to? Job is probably one of the earliest books written, and this really represents the uh, earthly man in a very early era of man's career on earth. And already he's talking about what man has been able to do technology-wise in, in mining. So keep that in mind from this very, very early writing. Mortals put an end to the darkness. That is, they've been able to overcome darkness with, with creative ways of lighting the night. They search out the farthest recesses for ore, in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as a fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. He's just picturing that the birds that have keen eyesight, we can can talk about the eyes of an eagle, the eyes of a hawk, are not able to see these things, but man is able to not only see it, understand it, but, but mine after these precious treasures. Proud beast do not set foot on it. No lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers, and they bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? That's an interesting turn on what he's doing. He's describing how uh, he marvels at how a man has been able to not only discover where gold is and where it comes from and learn how to mine it out and silver and the precious metals that they appreciated in those days and the gems that he has mentioned some of those. But he suddenly tells you the theme of what he's talking about, of all these things that men go after, and they're so clever in learning how to get this. Then he starts talking about wisdom. Where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth, and it cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, 
with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? Now, the Bible is a wonderful resource of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a great resource of wisdom. And it fundamentally, just throughout that work, contrasts wisdom with foolishness. It imparts lessons for how parents can be better parents, if you read the book of Proverbs. It teaches young people how to avoid the common pitfalls that the writers have encountered or seen. I think that the mature, the older people, are a wonderful resource for young people. But the problem is, young people don't avail themselves of that resource. There's a certain, oftentimes, a certain pride that they don't trust that what we're telling them is the truth. Sometimes there's a certain and I use the word cautiously, arrogance, that they just want to learn it on their own or they can beat the odds or whatever happened to you is not going to happen to me. But if we could learn from those who have been before, we could save ourselves a lot of problems. And it's not just young people. No matter what stage of life you are, there's probably somebody who has experience in areas where you don't have experience. Can you learn from them? Will you learn from them? Or are you being just as stubborn as what I've already mentioned? Now, the book of Proverbs is not the only piece of wisdom literature. We've got Job is considered uh, the wisdom literature. Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and even in the New Testament, the book of James is considered a piece of wisdom literature. So not only can we study about wisdom in, in these books, and we can even learn from stories in the Bible about things that people did that when we get done reading and we see how it turned out for them, we should say, I don't believe I'll do that. It's a great resource for wisdom. And then, not least of all, is the teachings of Jesus himself. He, impart, he imparted to us priceless Nuggets of wisdom. And he functioned in pure wisdom and all the time. Never did a single foolish thing. What a record. So with all this wonderful resource for how we're supposed to be able to walk in wisdom, why is foolishness succeeding? Why are we not availing ourselves of the wisdom that's available? Why do we continue to do foolish things? I'm going to try and define this in such a way as you don't misunderstand me. I don't, I don't count every mistake that we make as foolishness. Foolishness is pressing on when it's obvious you shouldn't. I make a lot of mistakes. I feel foolish sometimes for doing that. But it's not always foolishness. You make mistakes. It's not always foolishness. We feel bad. We regret. We wish we could turn the clock back. We wish we could do things better. But I learned from my superintendent 
in California who had been a, a very successful minister that whenever he made decisions or was responsible for decisions that were made that didn't turn out so well, his response was, I made the best decision I knew how to make given the facts that I had. And sometimes that's all you can do. Now you've got more facts because the one you tried adds to the facts. Maybe it doesn't work very well that way. So you can add to it and you can learn from it. Foolishness is not heeding the lesson that you learned and doing it again. So that's the difference between just being imperfect, which we all are, and making some blunders, which we all do, and being foolish. Now, given that, let's press on with the sermon so you understand what I'm talking about. I don't want people to feel beat up just because they're imperfect. So the question that is before us right now is, why is foolishness so rampant? Why is it selling so well? And the first thing I suggest to you is foolishness is the easy route. It's like cheating at school to get the grade. What good does that do you if you need the education? The grade doesn't do you any good if you don't learn something. It's foolishness. It's foolish of the professional athlete to take the steroids to win. Because ultimately, they can be stripped of the title, and it's happened. Mark McGuire shatters the single-season home run record. Balls are just flying off his bat, but the record's no good. His performance is tainted by steroids. Ben Johnson's world record 100-meter dash, where he sprints and launches out of the starting blocks like a piece of machinery and crosses the finish line, and world record time is taken away because it's enhanced by steroids. Marion Jones, who was just in almost in, like a machine, they said it was inhuman what she was doing, so far out ahead of the rest of the pack. And she swore again and again and again, I don't do drugs, I don't know what they're talking about, I'm against drugs. It comes to find out she was doing drugs, steroids. Foolishness. The easy route, it just doesn't pay off, does it? And knowing the record of people who take the easy route and it doesn't pay off, isn't it foolish from this point on to think in life that if we can take the easy way, somehow it's going to benefit us? Isn't that foolish to continue to do that, given the evidence that is available to us? I've watched as a coach, I've coached, a little bit, helped coach in some wrestling. I've coached basketball. I've watched kids that were, and I've watched practices where I wasn't the coach. And I've watched kids cheat at training. What is with that? If you're a wrestler, you have to train to be in condition to last that brutal six minutes, three two-minute rounds. And it feels forever like an hour. You are straining every fiber and every muscle, and you are in constant pain wrestling. There is no, you can't just tell the other wrestler, let's rest for a minute. Doesn't work like that. You let up, he wins. So why do people who want to be a good wrestler cheat at training? I've seen them. 
the coach will say, go give me 50 laps, and they'll report a false record. I, I, I did my 50 laps, but they only did 10. They hid out somewhere till everybody was done. I've seen basketball people, you tell them to run laps around the gym. And I remember one young man in particular that I was coaching, that he thought that he was outsmarting me. He would always take the inside lane. And I would tell them, don't cut the corners. You've got to go outside to the rectangle. And he would cut the corner by about 10 feet every time. But he would hurry through there so nobody would see. And I'm thinking, you know, what good are you doing yourself? These other kids are getting training. You're cheating, and you're going to run out of gas when you get on the court. It's foolish to take the shortcut. Some things, there's just only one right way to do it. Whenever you do it the wrong way, it doesn't pay off, and it, sometimes it ends up being very dangerous. The second thing that I suggest is why is foolishness so rampant is because foolishness is rewarded with popularity and fame. People will applaud you for your foolishness, and that's an incentive for people to do foolish things. They get the approval of their friends. And the old dare still works. I'm just going to ask you to reflect for a minute on your own life. Did you ever do something on a dare that you wished you had not? Isn't that, isn't that amazing how when you get dared to do something that your brain just goes in neutral? You lose all sense of rationality because now you have to prove something. You have to prove you're not afraid. You have to prove you're, you're uh, going to be in the in crowd. Something happens with the dare. But real-life incidents that we can point to on a dare. A young man is challenged to play chicken with a car. Now, you know when two cars play chicken and they head at each other uh, at a high rate of speed and the first one to turn out of the way to avoid a head-on collision is considered chicken. That's about as foolish as, as it gets. But a young man is challenged to play chicken with uh, an unsuspecting driver, and he has no car. It's just him. So he's going to stand there, and the first one to move loses. The last one in his case <laughs> to move, if it's him, loses. Foolish, totally foolish. But the dare works on people. Or on a dare, a man puts his hand in a bear trap. Friends dared him to do it. You know what happened. I don't have to tell you. He got clamped on a dare. A group of young people sit around the table and they play Russian roulette. This happened in Alabama. And the young man that came to work on my crew the next day, he told me, he said, I was so sick, I was so nauseated. He said, I had to leave, I couldn't stay. As they put one bullet in a gun, give the chamber a spin, put it to their head and pull the trigger. I'm thinking, what is the benefit of this? What are you proving? A dare makes you do the stupidest things. It's foolishness. And why does foolishness succeed so much today? Because people want to be popular. They want to be famous. They want to be accepted. So I guess people take a dare just to be somebody. 
I guess some people make the most foolish decisions just to be famous or popular. I think Satan has figured out the dare works. And he dares people to do things. Because this is not just about Russian roulette and playing chicken. It's about your spiritual well-being. As the enemy dares you to do something you know you should not do. And the evidence is abundant you should not do that. But the enemy knows what works with people. I dare you. You can almost see that element at work in the original fall. God says, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent is tempting and daring. I dare you to eat it. Don't you know that if you eat it, it's going to be the source of knowledge that you don't have? Don't you know you'll be like God? And they took the dare. And look what it cost us. The third thing that I suggest to you is foolishness is the fruit of temptation. And surely you have noticed all temptation is the temptation to do something foolish. I will suggest to you, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe that Satan has ever once tempted anybody to do the right thing. If it's a temptation, I can guarantee you it's foolish. It just goes together. They're inseparable. He doesn't tempt you to be wise. So if the temptation is there, you are smart enough or ought to be to be able to say, temptation, foolishness, this doesn't work for me. But people don't do that. They yield to temptation all the time. There's an old adage that says a fool and his money are soon parted. And that's why scammers succeed. That's why people are tempted to make bad, unrealistic investments because of the chance, slim chance of getting rich. That's why casinos thrive, because fools are quickly parted with their money. That's why they are able to build luxurious palaces on the money of foolish people. That's why... That's why hell is so successful in this world is because they know that people are weak in temptation. Temptation is so luring. It's one of those things, again, like I said, this also short-circuits the ability to make rational decisions. Why else? You tell me, why else, if that were not the case, would the governor of South Carolina risk his entire successful political career to disappear for six days, fly off to Buenos Aires, and have an affair. And be exposed for that and lose his political career, lose his wife, destroy his family. Why would any person do that except that temptation to foolishness paralyzes the brain? Why else would a U.S. congressman from New York risk his career by tweeting indecent photos of himself to young girls. Why would he do that? We read those news stories and we think, what is wrong with you? Foolishness. 
Why else would one of the NFL's brightest wide receivers put his entire career at risk? Having a career season and a winning team, why would he put it all at risk? To jump in his car, go speeding and have marijuana in it and get caught. When you can lose everything and you're doing so well and you're successful and you're so blessed with talent, why do that? Why else would one of television's most famous evangelists from the 1980s, his face is known everywhere. Why else would he drive off to the seedy part of town and solicit prostitutes? How do you get away being that famous and that visible with thinking that you can frequent the prostitutes and some prostitute somewhere along the way or somebody's not going to see you is going to identify you and say, guess who visited me tonight? That's newsworthy. And you wonder, what were you thinking? Everybody say that. What were you thinking? How many times have you said that in life? We want to know. We never get answers. Except the only answer is people said, I wasn't. Foolishness cannot ever, ever, ever please God. He's never pleased with foolishness. And the Bible has many things to say about foolishness. We can't exhaust the things the Bible has to say about foolishness today. But let me just give you an example of what the Bible says about foolishness. Much of it from Proverbs, Proverbs 19.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. How many of you know that person today? Twenty nine eleven. A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Oh, that one hurts. We've got to get control of ourselves. It's foolish not to get control of ourselves. Proverbs 1.7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't want to learn. They don't want to know. Don't tell me. I'm happy where I am. Proverbs 10.27. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. That kind of goes along with my title. Foolish and proud of it. The new normal. Living in a world that is being just as foolish as they can be. And there's not a day go by goes by that I don't read headlines of things that people are doing. And I just shake my head and say, this is the, this is the ex- epitome of foolishness. I don't get it. But not only that, they're proud of it. Doing things that don't make any sense whatsoever except it pleases them and their carnality. Psalm 14.1 A fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's enough to give us an example of what the Bible thinks, says about foolishness and what God thinks about foolishness. Jesus talked about foolishness. He didn't have any patience for foolishness. Now, that's where I'm drawing the line between 
making a mistake, learning, and just being plain foolish. Jesus did not have any patience for foolishness. There were things that his disciples did that were wrong and childish, but they were learning, and he was patient with them. But when he talked about foolishness, he said something like this. He said, now there was a man that was a rich farmer, and he was doing quite well in his business. He was doing so well that he had no more capacity to hold all of his produce. So he said, I think I'll just tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns, and I'll be able to hold all this thing. And the Lord came to him, and he said, you fool. Not because he was successful. Not because he was industrious. Not because he was going to build bigger barns to hold that. He was a fool because he was so wrapped up in what he was doing and his own success, he had not taken care of any spiritual business. This fool, he said, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And you spent your entire life making preparations for the things that are temporary. But you haven't spent one second getting ready for eternity. How many of you here today are smart enough to know eternity is longer than the temporary? How many of you know that? This is a no-brainer. And if you are making provisions for the temporary, you've got your career, you've got your education, you've got your job, you've got your savings, and one of these days you're going to die and somebody else is going to get it all, did you make one-minute preparation for eternity? And Jesus said, this man typifies the person who takes care of earthly business but does not take care of spiritual business. You fool! You've done all of these things in the earthly, but you've done nothing in the heavenly. It's foolish. There's no escaping it. Unless you're just proud of foolishness. Unless you just want to stand up and say, I'm proud that I do what I do. Don't you realize what the end result of such foolishness is? Don't we realize what hell is? Don't we realize what it means to miss heaven? To be separated from God eternally? Don't we understand when Jesus said hell is like this fireplace over here, this, this garbage dump where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched and you don't want to go there. Don't we understand when Jesus said that it was the rich man that went to hell and lifted up his eyes being in torment and cried out, send somebody with a drop of water on the tip of their finger. It is a fool who wants to ignore that and think somehow if I don't pay any attention to it, it's not going to happen. Foolish. And proud of it. And unexplainable. Jesus told of the foolish man that built his house on the sand. Now right there, before you go any farther, we all are shaking our head and saying, what? Now I understand people are building on sand today. Down in Florida, they build on the beachfront. And they have insurance. And every time that these beachfront properties get taken out, they just get rebuilt. And we're talking about a totally different dynamic. I don't think that's too smart anyway, but that's what they do. I don't think it's too smart to build on the cliffs on the, on the uh, left coast where the rains come and there's no vegetation, and every time the rain comes, it turns into a mudslide and houses slide off the cliffs down into the ocean. I don't think that's too smart, but they keep doing it. 
But you've got to understand they've got insurance. They've got ways to get around it. As foolish as I think it is, it's more foolish what Jesus is talking about because these people building on the sand that Jesus is describing, he's not digging down and getting bedrock. He's not laying a deep foundation so that it's where the sand is but it's not on the sand. He's building on the sand. And the building inspectors are having a fit. They know this is not going to hold. And Jesus said, the wise man builds on the rock, the foolish man builds on the sand. Can you imagine that? How much does it cost you to build a house? Proportionally, it's probably about the same in any generation. It's going to cost you a significant part of your life and your income to do that. Yet this man puts it on sand, and Jesus said, that man's a fool. It just doesn't work. And, of course, the application is very obvious that if we're not building our life, our spiritual foundation on Jesus Christ, the rock, we're building on shifting sands. We're fools for not building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Foolish people of this world provide, provide us an endless supply of incidents in which we ultimately end up saying, What were you thinking? When I was in California, this was a true story. Now, a lot of these things are just urban legend, but I read this in the newspaper. It's really happened. A man was, had too much time on his hands, evidently, and decided to go down to the local uh, military surplus store, pick him up some uh, weather balloons, and he filled them with helium and weighted his, his lawn chair down and tied the helium balloons to the lawn chair and sat down in it and took a BB gun with him and cut the cord so he could float up in his lawn chair with these helium balloons. But he didn't have any brakes. And he went up and he got up into air traffic. And a pilot flies by in a commercial uh, airplane and he sees a man on a lawn chair Rising up with helium balloons. That'll make you question your sanity. And he calls it in report. You're never going to guess what I saw. Well, the man thought, when I get up there, I'll control it by my BB gun shooting out my own balloons. What were you thinking? He got too high and got scared to shoot his balloons. What were you thinking? He's just the embodiment of so many foolish things that people do. I see a lot of people that just are equal to the man and the lawn chair and the helium balloons. It's a different scenario, but it's the same mentality. And I scratch my head and I look and I say, what are you thinking? had a young man in my church many years ago and he was such a such he was a good-looking young man he was a, a, a strapping strong very well developed for being just a high schooler and just had just had everything going for him and he dropped out of the Christian school and started going to public school. He thought he could make it over in the public school. But he had lived in this Christian school 
uh, grown up in it and didn't realize what it meant to go into the public school. He didn't make it. He got in with the wrong crowd. And he ended up in my office in the church telling me why he got kicked out of school for drinking liquor on the school grounds. Grew up in a Christian home, fine Christian home. I'm sitting across the desk from him, and I said, you've got everything in the world going for you. And you were raised in a Christian home, and you know better. Will you tell me one thing? What were you thinking? And the only thing he could tell me is, I don't know. I guess I'm just weak. Now, what a contradiction. Strong physically, strong as a moose. But spiritually, weak. That's back to, you fool, this night, your soul is going to be required of you. Not taking care of spiritual business. How foolish can we get? I sat in my office in a church many years ago with a young lady that came in. And, folks, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, this, this, this person that she drug in with her that she had decided she was going to marry was not on the same level of her whatsoever. He had no Christian background. Even in every other aspect, she was a charming, beautiful, intelligent young lady. This guy was loser from top to bottom. Now, you know what I'm talking about. And wanted me to perform the ceremony and marry them. And I said, I'm going to have to counsel you both. And I counseled him about, you know, what is your relationship with the Lord? He didn't understand that question. You know, do you know any, have you ever been to church? You know, do you have, and the only answer he came up with was one time when he was little, he remembers going to a church camp somewhere. That was it. That was his experience. He had no motivation. He was lazy. He had nothing going for him in life at all. And I could not understand this, this infatuation of the beauty with the beast. I didn't get it at all. And I let him go, and I brought her in. And I looked at her, and I said, you are young. You are t- intelligent. You love God. You are beautiful. You can have your pick and choice of any person you want. They will be lined up for a chance to spend a life with you. What are you thinking? She just hung her head. I'm I'm pleased to tell you something must have got through because she didn't go through with it. She was determined for a while. That was probably out of all the premarital counseling I've ever done in all of my ministry, the only time I was ever effective in talking somebody out of doing the wrong thing. One time in all of my ministry that I can remember. And I've had many incidents where it's been the same thing. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? This is foolishness. Let's move to our next point. Wisdom is incomparable. Job gives us this magnificent tribute to godly wisdom. First of all, wisdom is rare. In in Job giving this detailed description of this mining industry. He counts these, these things, these items, these precious metals, these precious gems as having no 
comparison to wisdom. Wisdom is greater than gold. Wisdom is greater than silver. Wisdom is greater than rubies, than diamonds, than topaz. Wisdom is greater than all of these things. And then in verse 12, Job asks this question, where do people find it? Nobody knows where to find wisdom. And that's not, that's not an absolute. It's not that nobody does. But he's making this, this comment about these people, they can find gold. They can find diamonds. They can find, they don't know where to find wisdom. Where is it? He says it can't be bought with the finest gems and the most precious metals you possess. The sharp-eyed birds of the air, they, they can't see it. They, they say that, that a, an eagle with its, its eyesight can read a newspaper at 200 yards. I, find that I didn't even know they could read. They can't, they can't find wisdom. The jewelry industry in the United States alone was over $60 billion in 2012. That tells you that people are absolutely fascinated by gems and precious metals. And that includes me. I'm fascinated by them. I don't have much of them. But, but I'm fascinated by it. I, I can look at precious stones and just be fascinated by the beauty of them. I think rocks are beautiful. And they're not even worth anything. Yeah, I like to collect nice-looking rocks. Think about gems and rubies and diamonds. And you know what? I'm, wisdom is rare. As rare as the diamond is, and as rare as gold is, wisdom is rare. Wisdom, number two, is beautiful. And I've got a set of slides here, and I think when you hit the first slide, Tobias, don't do it yet. It's going, oh, there we go. Two seconds, people. Study it. This is a crystal. Two seconds per. Look at the crystal, the snowflake. A microscopic picture of snowflakes. Is that not amazing? See the symmetry? See the intricacy? See the beauty? Six sides. Everything is six-faceted in a snowflake crystal. It's absolutely amazing. I looked at that slide over and over and over again. I'm just fascinated. I see the intricate lace work in there, the crystal. And then you've got the actual crystals, quartz crystals, that they're not always six-sided. The snowflakes are. Unless, unless there's a, a deformed snowflake because it picked up too much dust and it formed wrong. Or, but but if, when it's formed like it's supposed to, it will form six sides six appendages I'm fascinated and then you see the other crystals I'm fascinated you see the gems I'm fascinated when I was engaged uh, to Anne I, I bought her a diamond at the local small town jeweler he, he had a wonderful reputation and I, I bought her the most expensive diamond that I could afford on my income of $3,000 a year as an evangelist. So I took a sixth of my income. Now, you can calculate that out, how much you'd spend today at your income. I took $500, and I went up to the jeweler. said, I want a half-carat diamond, and he sold me a diamond. Now, 
just this past year, I wanted to do a little better for Ann than I was able to do back then. So I went down and said, can we get a new ring set? I want to keep the diamond. And he put on his little eyeglass, and he looked at that, and he said, that is a beautiful diamond. Ann was standing right there. I, I mean, this was beautiful. I did good. So, see, I have an appreciation for this. But Job's point that he's making here is as much as we admire these gems and these precious metals, wisdom is far more valuable. And I don't know if, I I hope you're grabbing this, how beautiful it is, how precious it is, how rare it is. My final point, wisdom is vital. Now, many of you women here today, you're, you're sporting some beautiful jewelry. And maybe you have a wedding set with a beautiful diamond or a cluster of diamonds. And m- my wife gets a big kick out of diamonds. You know, she likes to window shop at jewelry stores. Now, I, I, I'm not quite there yet. But she likes to go in a jewelry store and just look. She's fascinated. She loves it. She dreams, I'm sure, of what it would mean to own some of those beautiful diamonds in there. And some of you women, you've got these beautiful things that you're wearing. You own it. It's maybe at the house. Maybe you're wearing it today. And you do it because it it makes you feel gorgeous. And you have this thrilling experience. You wear it with joy. It makes you feel special. And you are special. It makes you feel beautiful. And you are beautiful. And you love your jewelry, and it's beautiful jewelry. And I have no criticism of that. That is, that is wonderful. I only have one thing to say. As much as you love it, and as beautiful as it makes you, wisdom is better. That's all I can say. I'm glad for what you have. I only want to say there's one thing that you can do that will outshine it all. Man or woman or young man or young lady. It's not over because you got that diamond you wanted. You got that necklace you wanted. I'm glad for you. I rejoice with you. It must have been a wonderful time when you got that. Do you have wisdom? Because it is far more precious than all of those things. Foolishness makes us ugly. But wisdom makes us beautiful. Foolishness robs us of our dignity. But when you wear the crown of wisdom, it gives you dignity and respect. Gold is at record high prices today. People are scrambling to own gold. But where are the people lined up for wisdom? Young man, I'm asking you, does your reputation really matter to you? Listen to me. Don't check out now because I'm in your face. Does your reputation really matter to you? Or are you really interested in just being nominated doofus of the year? Is that what it's all about? Young lady, do you love the wardrobes of foolishness? Do you really want to wear the paste jewelry of foolishness draped around your neck? Or do you really want the pearls of wisdom on you? Do you care about your integrity? Or are you selling out at bargain basement prices? 
Mister, do you want the world to take you seriously or are you stuck in permanent adolescence? Does your wife trust you to make the decisions of the best interest of the family or does she have to hide the checkbook from you? Have you grown up yet? Are you walking in wisdom? And does your family recognize you in walking in wisdom? Or they do, they leave you out of the family planning because you mess it all up. Foolishness is not just the sickness of children. It's not just the sickness of teens or men or women. It is the sickness of humanity. And I've seen grown people. Let me pick on men. I've seen grown men do the dumbest things. I've seen grown women plunge headlong into their third, their fourth, their fifth marriage. And every time they get married, they pick a loser again. There's been times, there was a time in California when I was pastoring there, there was a woman going into her fifth marriage. And she went to one of the staff pastors, and the staff pastor agreed to perform the wedding. And I brought him into the office, and I asked him the question, What were you thinking? He said, I don't know. I just prayed, and I felt like the Lord told me to do that. Don't try and hide behind your spirituality when you're walking in sheer foolishness. So I gave the man an out. I said, we're going to write a policy in this church. And there's not a staff member of this church who will be permitted to perform a wedding ceremony unless it meets our requirements or it has the approval of the entire staff because we do want to take extenuating circumstances into consideration. So we had, we had it covered. We understand that sometimes things just don't work. We understand that. But for this woman, that was not the case. She was burning up men like fuel. And that marriage that that pastor performed broke up about a year or two later. It didn't work either. Now, I've always, as long as I can remember, cherished wisdom. I've always wanted to rise above my foolishness. I have done foolish things, I promise you. I've made mistakes that I felt foolish, but they were just simply mistakes. But I've done foolish things. And I admit it. And when I've done it, I vowed to myself, I'm not going to do that again. I try to learn. Wisdom's important to me. It's an important value that I try to pursue with all of my strength. Every day that I live, I want to be wise. I remember the foolish things that I've done in my pursuit of wisdom. And it embarrasses me. I don't like it. When I think about it too much, I really, I, I, I get the feeling sick. Because I remember that was me. And I don't like that. And I've told you some of those things. And I don't want to lengthen this sermon going over. But you remember I told you I was under that bus without any support. And it came crashing down. I just barely, I just barely got out. That was so stupid. And I told myself it was. And I promise you, I've never done that again with a bus. It only took once. It shouldn't have taken once. It was stupid.
I remember going down that gravel road too fast because I didn't have a good clutch and I needed to get a run off the hill. But I didn't realize at the bottom of the hill there was a stop sign and I was about to go across a paved road. And I went dashing across that road and I looked to my right and there was a car just a few yards from me. And when I got over on the other side, I had a talk with myself. I said, Scott, that was a dumb thing to do. And I said, yeah, wasn't it? That was stupid. And I learned. I've never done that again. Like the time that I invested $500. Now, I paid $500 for Ann's ring. But I found another $500 because when we were first in the early days of our marriage, there was a man that came through that wanted to sell us a, a membership into a buying club. And we being newly married, we didn't have refrigerators, we didn't have stoves, we didn't have furniture, we didn't have, uh, they, you could get discounts on your tires, you could get uh, all kinds of discounts. And if you'll buy this $500 lifetime membership in this club, look at all the money you're going to save in your young marriage as you buy things from now on. And so I talked to Ann and said, what do you want to do? She said, it's up to you. Talk about flattering me. I get to make the decision. I'm the man of the house. I said, well, I, think, I think this is going to pay off for us. I did it. And that lifetime membership was only the lifetime of the club. It folded a year later. I'm feeling nauseated right now thinking about that. I hate that. I have never joined a buying club again. I learned. The first time was foolish, maybe. Maybe it's just a mistake. Foolishness is doing it again. So I've made my share of foolish decisions. I vowed to myself I don't want to live like that. That's why I value wisdom. I may not be the wisest man you ever meet, but I promise you I want to be. And you should too. You should want to be. I may never make it. But you should want to be wise. That's a trait we should all desire. Foolishness is refusing to admit your mistakes. Foolishness is refusing to learn from your mistakes. Foolishness is celebrating your mistakes instead of repenting and correcting. Foolishness is being governed by your emotions instead of using your brain. Foolishness is refusing to seek out good counsel. Foolishness is refusing to listen to the good counsel when you sought them out. There are three fundamental requirements being an effective leader and servant in the church. Three. Now, there's a lot more that, that they talk about uh, as Paul writes to Timothy and in the book of Titus of what it means to be a deacon, what it means to be an elder, what it means to be a bishop. But in the book of Acts, there are only three things. Seek out men, seven men. Good report, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've got that, you can work with that. I've got this mental notepad that's on in my brain all the time. And I'm watching people, and I'm sizing them up, and I'm categorizing them for foolish or wise. Because I'm always looking for wise people. Your name's on that list somewhere. I watch what you do. I listen to what you say. I see your actions. Because I want wise people around me. And when it comes time for leadership of the church, and we are looking for people to serve around me, I need counsel. I need wise people. 
And I'll tell you, I won't mind telling the board. I have no confidence in that person and their wisdom whatsoever. I do not want them surrounding me. I have a right and a duty to do that. I have a responsibility of pastoring a church and making sure that we glorify God and we do His will. And fools don't have any place in that position. I'm watching you. But what's worse than that is God's watching you. And you can move from the foolish category to the wise category. But you've got to make a decision today. You don't want to live your life like that. You want to be wise. You want to have a reputation. And you want to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's wisdom. How do you avoid playing the fool? How do you cultivate wisdom? How do you avoid being mocked by hell? Are you interested? Do you want to know? Here it is. Are you ready? Honor God in everything you do. That's it. Job said in the 28th verse of that same chapter I opened with, and he, talking about God, said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Honor God in all you do. You'll make wise decisions. Solomon repeated that truth. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think most people here have already learned that the word fear just means honor. That's all it is. Honor and respect the Lord. Honoring God is wisdom. It keeps you from doing foolish things. You're victimized by foolishness when you do not do the things that honor God. When Satan tempts you to take something that doesn't belong to you, does this honor God? Question answered. When Satan tempts you to sexual impurity, ask yourself, does this honor God? You've got your answer. When Satan tempts you to party hard in this Christmas season with friends that are going to do things that you know Christians don't do, stop for a minute. Clear your mind and ask yourself, does this honor God? You've got your answer. When Satan tempts you to put your life at risk and your reputation at risk just to be popular, just to be accepted by the world, ask yourself, does this honor God? You will find it impossible. Everybody say impossible. To honor God and yield your body as an instrument of unrighteousness at the same time. It doesn't work. May God give us wisdom. If any man, if any woman, if any young person lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. Because that foolishness just doesn't work. Bow your heads.